Hello and welcome to the Tales from Wales podcast. This episode we are joined by comedian Chris Chopin. Now Chris is a little bit of a unicorn when it comes to Welsh comedy as he's uh, fully integrated into the Welsh comedy scene but he's not actually Welsh at all. So thank you as always for listening in. Uh, if you like the podcast please give us a review, tell your friends about the podcast, give us a like, give us a share and anything else that's helpful on social media. But for now sit back, relax and enjoy the Tales from Wales podcast. Welcome to the Tales from Wales podcast, live uh, with Joke Pitt. Joke Pitt connecting comment today in a uh, very, very fetching retro t-shirt. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, very good, yeah, very good. Sporting, uh, I think I've got as much hair on my chin as I do in my head, so that is uh, the first for, for, for everything. Uh, you I, I see that you're sporting a nice haircut. Thank you. Yeah, I. Yeah, that'd be all right. That'd be all right. I'd be like one of those little Mexican werewolf kids. <laughs> it's, it's good to have a dream. Um, it's very nice to see you, Steph, because I've been seeing Drew. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to see Drew as well, but I've seen him every Thursday. I haven't seen you since the start of lockdown. How's it going? How are you? Well, well, you're not missing much, mate. I'm still a uh, you know a, a multiple letter words. Uh, Nice to uh, catch up on your on your vlogs and stuff. I've 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 not watched them all because you've done like a million of them, but I've watched a few and uh, yeah, I've enjoyed them. I, I like that. Um, is that a is that like a throw or like a a wall carpet behind you? It's like a wall hanging thing. I think it's from. Like I should know because every time I do a stream, people ask, and it's. I think one of my fiance's relatives gave it to her as like a a present. So it was here before I moved in. And I don't know where it's from. I think it was like a souvenir from a holiday, maybe. But then that might not even. Be, I should know. I should have. That's the sort of, people always ask, and I never know. It'd be so easy to check. I would just have to ask the person I live with all of the time. <laughs> but I think it's nice now that it's gone yeah. too far. You, well, you have gone good. past our threshold of you. You can't ask Ellie what it no, is. No, it's disingenuous of you. So I think you should. Make up a different story every time someone uh, someone someone does ask. Oh yeah, this uh, was actually <laughs> it's a nice story actually. This was actually the blanket uh, that I was found in uh, after I crashed to earth uh, in, a little, in a little escape pod as a baby, um, and the escape pod was I mean left in in ruins. But they brought the blanket uh, and the little T-shirt that I was wearing that said so Cal L, and um, yeah, never really. Never really thought much about it, but I guess suppose I suppose I wonder I should wonder about what that means. <laughs> well, I think you know we got into this and we started with the nice. It's nice of you to ask sort of uh, how we've been, Chris, because uh, guests don't often give us that sort of um a sort of that sort of luxury. Really, it's nice of you to do that. But um, you haven't introduced yourself yet. Um, obviously, we live now with your bit visually and audio. This goes out on audio across all podcast platforms as well. So for anyone listening, um, we sort of just introduce yourself and tell us a bit, bit about who you are. Hello, I am Chris Chopping, um, stand-up comedian, uh, occasional writer, and I suppose 
these days youtuber as much as anything since since uh, the great uh, global situation occurred um so i've, I've been doing stuff on youtube um yeah well i like wrestling i like, <laughs> I, like, I, like I, I like cats that's I, I like food those those are the main driving forces in my life um what more, what more do people need to know well yeah i think not to sort of about wrestling cats oh mate there is a video on the internet of two kittens fighting in a like a toy wrestling ring it is i've wasted <laughs> so i i could happily look at it for hours it's fantastic i was really and, and i got some kittens and i have a toy wrestling ring but the kittens were in wales and the wrestling ring was in my parents house in bedfordshire and it's just it, I, I will never it's, it's one of the big regrets of my life that missed opportunity well, I'm, I'm sort of glad you said about um, your parents being in Bedfordshire. I always see you as a bit of like um, the unicorn of the, of the Welsh comedy scene in that you're a permanent fixture. You know, com comedians obviously travel around the country. They, they're quite fluid sometimes. Some people will, will stay stay from home on different days and different places like um, Raoul Coley, I'm sure you know Raoul, um, mm -hmm. comic from uh, Newcastle. He seems to be just constantly on the move, you know, sort of doing his different gigs, and he seems quite fluid in where he is. But you're a permanent fixture here in Wales, but you're not, you're not Welsh, you're not a Welsh comedian. No, no, not really. I sometimes get billed as that because I get booked to do a gig in England, and they find out where I'm coming from or who I'm coming with, and they yeah. make an assumption, and I get find them on the Facebook page as cheeky Welsh comedian Chris Chopping, which feels <laughs> like they're not going to get what they. <laughs> come to see really with that it feels a bit like false advertising but um i mean i kind of i my fiance is welsh uh my uh or i've lived here for for well over a decade now so i kind of think of myself as being um at least sort of dual nationality mm. you know like if i could apply for sort of dual citizenship um you know i like being english in some ways but i i you know i, I certainly can't do a particularly um, impressive Welsh accent, but yeah, I think I think that this is home now, really. So yeah, I like I like being in Wales. It's a good it's a good old place, isn't it? Plus, you don't feel like you're quite so under Boris's thumb. Yeah, it is uh, that. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's little sort of devolution. There's a there's a little devolution goes a long way. I think is a oh. say we can coin, but sort of I, I always make a mistake of thinking you studied here in Wales, but that's not true either. What brought you to Wales originally? A lot of people think I studied here. I think it's because I look, I've always looked young for my age. <laughs> so people meeting me in my twenties and they, and they realized I lived here for a couple of years. I assumed, well, you must, must have been or still be at university. Uh, but I actually studied in Northampton. Um, one of, one of the big three universities, isn't it? It's Oxford, Cambridge, Northampton. And, um, <laughs> and a friend of mine was coming to Wales to do a master's and I had no plans and am easily led. So uh, I came to Wales and we lived in a tiny flat for a year and we didn't really know anyone. Um, and we had no, I was working a minimum wage job in a bookshop. Uh, we had, he was a student, we had no money. Uh, we stayed in this tiny flat. We got each other's nerves for a year, and then he moved back home after his masters, and I got a job in a call centre. And I, you know, uh, I don't know why I stuck it out to be honest, but I 
I think if I'd moved back to Bedfordshire, I wouldn't be doing comedy and things now because there just isn't the scene and the kind of infrastructure for that. Even when I started in Cardiff, there was far fewer gigs and far fewer comedians that, than there are now. There was a small, enough of a scene to kind of start out and find your feet and gig. Um, but even then to the point that my third gig was in like Western Supermare or something, because there just wasn't, now you can kind of stay in Wales and just gig around. And you, if you don't want to, you never have to kind of leave. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's why I ended up in Wales anyway. I think it's sort of the look at the cliched question. I, I think comics in general get a little bit tired of this, but sort of um, why did you and how did you first get into comedy? Because you've been doing it perhaps double the amount of time I, me and Steph have, I think, approximately about, about 10 years, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, literally, I mean, literally, I think the anniversary, the 10 year kind of anniversary of me starting comedy, I think is coming up in October. Um, which I, at this rate, I don't know if there's going to be any way of sort of marking that in terms of doing a gig or anything, but uh, I, sorry, you uh, told me how long I'd been going and I, I, what was the question? How did you start and why did you start? Oh, um, well, it's one of those things that you always dream of doing when you're a kid, but, or when I was a teenager, I used to watch comedy on like Eddie Izzard and Ben Elton and things and, mm. But my only, there wasn't much of it on TV. My exposure to it was through like videos and people doing like their tour shows. And so I thought to be a comedian, you had to do like an hour, you know, like a block and then just, and I didn't realize you could start out. And then I started work, when I moved to Wales, I started working behind the bar at the Glee Club. And I realized, oh, these people kind of make a living from this and they're doing um, 20 minute chunks, you know, and they're not having to do a whole, hour in one go and then you learn about the scene and you realize oh you can start out you learn by doing five minutes and that's and then you kind of build it up so then it all starts to seem more possible and and I was one of those people that people always say oh you should you should be you're funny you should do stand-up you should do and eventually you know um I was always always very reluctant and then didn't really have the confidence to do it but it took one friend in particular Nick Shepley just sort of took me to a gig and kind of pushed me to do it and made it happen really and, and introduced me to a guy called dan thomas who you both know who yeah. uh and he said oh when can we get you in top the diary and i said i sort of said well i don't know i sort of came to watch and maybe i'll give it some thought and he went no we'll get we'll get you in we'll give you a date because otherwise you'll think about it and you put it off and you'll never do it and he was right and he, and he got me in and then i had you know a panic for about a fortnight um and worked really hard and uh did my first gig and it all went okay and it went from there so was what was that sort of that two week period like with the panic? Because I I was very very nervous and and anxious oh. before my oh, at least at least my first four five six gigs, and it did change. But how did you sort of manage that then? Because obviously there's this natural compulsion to run away, I suppose, and not do it. Um, I think you know my main tactic for managing that was to just be as prepared as possible in terms of really considering my material uh like what you know and it isn't even material at that point is it it's kind of uh anecdotes that you've got or kind of ideas for jokes or kind of stories that you've told your mates you think might work on stage because you don't really know how to write and craft material when you're starting out so you're just but you're just going what stories have i got what can i talk about um right really thinking about and just going over them all like going over them once I figured out what I was going to talk about, going over it in my head, everywhere I went, doing it, um, 
because I was terrified I'd go on stage and sort of blank, you know, and not remember the stuff. So just go over the stuff, go over the stuff, go over the stuff, and uh, just be super over-prepared and anxious and, and anal about it. And I think that is the correct way to do it. Like, mm. sometimes you see people, like I see a lot of people having their first gigs. You know, we all see a lot of people starting out having their first few gigs, and um, sometimes they go well sometimes they go not so well and sometimes you know people just need to learn and sometimes some people just don't have an affinity for it whatever it may be and, and if people have a tough gig I generally feel um sorry for them you know and I feel a lot of sympathy for that I can put myself in those shoes but if I see someone where they go on and it's like it's happened like only a handful of times where it's clear that they have not really prepped any material they've not they've just thought oh, I can just go on and can just riff it um and it's just like i don't have a lot of sympathy for that because i got really nervous and i worked really hard and that paid off and you like i don't know i just think that's what you need to do right just have a lot of stuff just just really plan and prepare well a, a com a compliment you you may get as a comedian you know if you if anyone's listening who is a comedian or sort of got a sort of link to the comedy scene, like a compliment you might receive on times is, oh, that was a really tight set. That was, you know, that was really tight. And it, like tight is often not not a good thing if someone's tight or, or what have you. But that's because what you did was succinct and it was it was no wasted words. There was no dead air. It just, you know, yeah. you, you sort of you sort of got it out there and you and you and you performed at a sort of a high level. And I think I think, yeah, you can be too loose. And I think preparation and and sort of being prepared and, and and sort of stage ready with what you want to say and do i think it is, is a massive sort of starting point really um but like a game changer for me or something i found was a big sort of turning point for me was when i stopped writing things that i thought people might think is funny and just wrote what i thought was funny and what i thought sounded like me saying it um did you find that that was you said about trying to prepare materials that's something that came quite quickly to you or did it take quite a lot of practice and self-reflection i think i was quite lucky in that i've always been like i think i was like um you know kids at school who kind of are like class clowns yeah and i was sort of a class clown except that occasionally i would just die on my ass as a class clown like i would sometimes i would <laughs> I think, you know i feel like class clowns usually just say like sort of crash things and it gets kind of a pretty consistent response and i would say a lot of things that i thought were funny that would just fall very flat but i would keep going for the sort of you know 30 percent of times that it got a good laugh and i and i enjoyed that feeling so much um so i think by the time i started doing stand-up even though i didn't really know how to write stand-up i i think i'd spent a more than average amount of time considering you know it's always something i've enjoyed is making people laugh mm. and you know not not consciously but i think i've spent a more than average amount of time figuring out how to craft my sort of stories or anecdotes for kind of maximum impact you know and, and how do you tell this story so that someone that wasn't there gets it and that's what you see a lot in when people start out in stand-up they're telling stories that about their mates in the pub and or anecdotes they'll tell in the pub and they forget that isn't going to work if you haven't explained to the audience who Daz mm. is, because they know who Daz is and all their mates know who Daz is, so they don't have to explain that bit of the story. And it's and it's just remembering what you have to make clear for an audience to understand. So I think it, that side of things came quite naturally to me because I'd always just been uh, an attention seeker. 
Yeah. Did you did you do that as well, Steph? Was you sort of like the, the, the class clown sort of archetype? Because I was as well. And what Chris was saying then is, is exactly how I used to behave when I was in sort of year six and that sort of thing in school, in primary school. Did you have this, did you do the same thing, Steph? I was similar. I was like, I was cheeky, but like I've, I've always been very lucky where uh, in my whole life where I can say pretty like, I wouldn't say bad, but very controversial and got away with it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say something in school about one of the teachers and I would get away with it. I don't know. I've got a certain way of luck to get away with saying stuff to people, especially live audiences. I've well, pretty uh, horrendous things to people, and they've laughed. So, uh, yeah, I don't know whether or not it's my demeanour. Is it the fact uh, I look a certain way or anything like that? But I've been very lucky, very lucky. I, I got to do the class clown thing, and I got to get away with stuff as well, because I think I had worse people in the class than me, so I was okay. I I sort of, yeah. when I was in next year six, I sort of, my attention went from making the class laugh. I realised my goal was to like make the teacher laugh instead. Um, and that's what I would try and aim to do, because I knew then that if like the teacher was laughing, I had that sort of safety net of well, you might not like what I said, but you laughed at it, so there's no sort of there's no sort of comeback. And for me, and I think the way I put comedy is sort of the, the classmates are the comedians, and the teacher is the it was the audience. You know, you don't necessarily want the comedians laughing at the back; you want the audience laughing. You know, sort of that target sort of laughing, do you, how do you sort of approach like a gig like that, how you view the audience and the comedians? Well, you, you've reminded me actually, Drew, of a, this is a bit of a tangent, but you've reminded me of when I was at university, you talking about trying to make the teachers laugh mm. and then they can't really tell you off. Uh, <laughs> it reminded me when I was at uni, uh, falling asleep in a seminar and... Um, oh, that's a risky move in a seminar. Lecture theatre, you can get yeah. away with it, but seminars, yeah. pretty, you must when have been tired. There's about 16 of you, and yeah, <laughs> no, I, but the lecturer took a risk of his own, though. He took a gamble because he did that that teacher tactic that we all know of when they, they know you're distracted, they know you've not been listening, uh, of asking you a question uh, to catch you out. And so I'm literally asleep in this in this seminar, and I wake up with a start, and he's looking right at me, and he asks me a question about what he's just been talking about, uh, and I just hit so lucky with having read the text the previous evening and, and knew the answer to the question. I was like, "Aha, is this?" And he didn't do anything. He was like, "Ah, oh, well, that was I played my card, didn't I?" And he, I, I asked the question to catch him out. He wasn't caught out. He clearly, he clearly needs the sleep more than my knowledge. Uh, it's, uh, and was it the reading <laughs> of the book that made you so tired? Um, no, let's not, let's not pretend <laughs> it was. It was staying up late. <laughs> I I visited Northampton because um, before I was a comedian, I was going to join the police. Um, I was accepted into I think it's Northamptonshire, Northamptonshire Police Force. Um, I was waiting to start, but then it never happened because the Conservative government came along and um, cut funding or something along those lines. So it never happened. But well, Thampton seemed like sort of a town as opposed to like a city sort of place. Is it much a, uni a university town? Um, well, it's hard. It's like having not been to university in other towns, it's hard to kind of know, isn't yeah. it? I mean, two campuses and, and they've got... <laughs> like, when I lived in halls of residence my first year, and 
I don't know if you guys have ever lived in halls of residence. Yeah, yeah. That's constant drama because it's people who don't really, they're still learning how to be grown ups and mm. they're out and there aren't there aren't any adults to supervise or kind of intervene. And it, so it's just people arguing and rowing and, and um, falling out. And, um, and you know, and that was fun for a year. And then I moved out into like a shared house and everyone I knew in halls were going, oh no, it's so great in halls, you got to move back. And I'm like, no, I know what it's like in halls. It's horrible, it's grim. Um, so, but living in the town of Northampton, there was a, I remember uh, there was a big street, you'd go out into town for a drinking and then you, to get home, we had to walk down this big, I can't remember the name of the road, but it was a massive long road where the whole place, there's one of those classic streets where the whole place is just kebab shops and pizza places and chicken places. And you're like, how did they, how did, they, which was the last of these to open? How did they secure the funding? <laughs> what was the business plan that they, they took to the bank going, yeah, I think what this street needs is another chicken shop. I'm not. <laughs> I'm aware it's probably money laundering. We've got to go and secure the loan to kind of create the, the the acceptable front of the business, right? Like I don't know how they would do that. And I used to go in drunk and just like spill all my change out onto the bar and just be like, "I'll have that much chicken, like one chips, and however much chicken that buys me." And then wake, <laughs> wake up in the morning with a lap full of cold chicken that needed to be thrown away. <laughs> well, um, there's a my my cousin. Like, where you, ne you never ate it. Well, I would eat the first uh, two or three bits, but I'd eat. I bought like eight or nine bits, and then rather than putting them in the fridge or doing anything sensible, I'd drunkenly kind of stumble off to bed and just wake up and oh no, I, I could have if I put that in the fridge, that could have been lunch, but no, I, I fucked it again. <laughs> Well, when I lived in Port, should, I should have been breakfast. I should do that with Chinese. Yeah, I live, I live pretty close Sorry. to my cousin, and uh, one of her friends. He's always running around Port. I bumped into the dog, and he said when he was at university, um, he once came home and had a lovely bacon sandwich after a night out, which is always a treat. You know, it was a bit, a bit of a risky move. I'm not a fan of starting up flames and stuff when I when I've had a drink, but he, I prefer a takeaway option. But he had a lovely bacon sandwich. Uh, only to find the next morning that the frying pan was completely clean. He hadn't actually used it at all to make his bacon sandwich. So um, he's always very, very cautious now. And he's always checks, double checks that he's got some dirty, dirty frying pans or saucepans the next morning, making sure that there's uh, evidence that he's cooked it properly. So, yeah, that, you know, I felt about that story. It put me off a little bit. I think <laughs> yeah. the takeaway is the best option to go. Have you got a bit of go-to after after night out meal at the takeaway, Chris? Well, it always used to be uh, southern fried chicken was was my go-to. Um, I'm living in Newport now, and it's kind of tends to be get. There's we don't really live where there's any takeaways that are open late night, so it tends to be more a case of get home, and um, what can I kind of put together quickly and easily at home that isn't going to burn down the house or kill me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it always used to be southern fried chicken was always my thing. Like. One one portion of chips, loads of chicken, maybe a coleslaw. Um, pizza's good too. If you never get a lamb shawarma, those I would recommend. They're kind of tricky to kind of track down. Do you know lamb shawarma? Yes. What's that? A kebab, is it? Or? So it's yeah. Like, yeah. You know, when you go to the kebab shop and you've got yeah. the uh, the doner kebab on the on the pole. I, I, obviously, you know that. But I'll, I'll describe this. And it's like the big sort of massive processed meat and you're not really sure the elephant, yeah, elephant's leg yeah 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 and then you have the chicken kebab next to it 
which is supposed to be like the chicken equivalent, except that it isn't one sort of homogenous kind of lump of meat. It's all these little kind of juicy bits that they somehow kind of stuck together, and then yeah. and it, it comes out in little juicy, crispy bits of chicken. And, and that's like shawarma. So lamb shawarma is like little juicy, crispy bits of lamb that are all on this rotating thing, but it's not like the Donna kind of slices. It's little crispy juice. Oh, it's beautiful, but... Can, can not really nice. It's really not nice. Those, not I, I like a lamb sheesh. That's always nice, but it's not always available. So Donna sometimes have to be the, the go-to of them. But something regarding like sort of fried chicken and late-night uh, fried chicken escapades. Um, KFC, sort of, you know, the, the, the brand of, of chicken that's sort of perhaps most famous, shuts quite early, doesn't it? It shuts like sort of 9, 10 yeah. o'clock. So you have to sort of find these sort of off-market or off-brand sort of versions. And if we've got any sort of go-to off-market chicken shops you like, especially in Cardiff. It's quite a good choice in Cardiff. Um, there used to be one called like chicken, funkychicken.com or something. <laughs> and they used to have like just really padded, sparkly, sparkly leather padded seats, um, which I think I enjoyed the aesthetic more than the chicken. But um, yeah. There is, it's like, still there. Chicken there's funkychicken.com and then there's, there's another one called chicken.com, like just because they thought websites were cool, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's one that was like chicken.com, and then you'd look it up, and that wasn't even their website. They just they just thought it was a good name for a chicken shop. No. No? Tell us, Steph. Maybe maybe there was a maybe it was a typo. But uh yeah, yeah. And, like it's, it's so so like for, like ten minutes from me. I could, there are so many like different sort of takeaways and stuff, I, and I've got to stay away from them. I, I I think I've had one or two kebabs in the last four months. I have food I've cooked myself. Uh, like I, I I like watching like well I I used to go on on Chris's Instagram and see what sort of stuff you'd be cooking because you'd always do that bang bang stuff, and I've never seen anyone use polenta so successfully as you chris i i um the drew I, I do you eat much polenta i um i'm full full disclosure i don't know what polenta is i only discovered polenta like uh, chris tell us what polenta is I only, I only really discovered polenta like about a year ago and it's corn flour okay. um, and you can use it to make like a, a mash kind of substitute where you just kind of put water in and you stir it for ages and um and they can add like cheese to that and things and use it instead of of how, how you would use mash you know have it with sausages or whatever but what i really like to do with it is like you can put it in a dish and like let it set and cool like you mix it with water let it set and then you can like chop it into cubes whack those on skewers and just and you can drizzle all sorts of like oil onto them and they take the flavor really well and then you cook them and they're like crispy on the outside and soft in the middle. And they've got the flavor of whatever oil you put on or like garlic or whatever it might or herbs, whatever. And it, uh, it's really nice. Yeah, I, I would recommend it. It takes a little bit of prep, but it's worth it. It's really nice. So it's sort of an alternative to potato and it can be sort of malleable into like a mash or a fritter or something like that, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like um, the equivalent, of, I guess, of like the, the mash on the one hand. Big chips. Then, the, the chips or the or the roasties or whatever but uh yeah, yeah it's mm. well i've i've uh i'm an omnivore i will eat whatever you put in front of me pretty much <laughs> but uh my fiance is vegan so that's pushed me to kind of experiment a bit more in the kitchen and try some different things um and that's been quite fun and um 
a lot of people think vegan food has to has to be healthy, but it doesn't have to be, guys. It can be just, <laughs> just as deadly as, as as meat. So how do you sort of manage that then? Because obviously I've got this, like, two of you live together, plus the cats. Um, mm. You know, there's obviously uh, shopping budgets to manage and, and, and so much hours in the day of cooking and that sort of thing. How do you sort of manage that between you then? If she's strictly vegan and you were and you were not, how does that sort of typically work out each week? Um, I tend to do most of the cooking, so right. it kind of falls to me on how much effort I want to put in on any given um, evening. Uh, you know, do I want to make a, a separate separate things or do I want to make something that can kind of you know sometimes you can do a dish where most of it's done and then and just you know the thing you have on the side I'll have a meaty thing and she'll have some vegan sausages or whatever sometimes I'll just go no I'll just have a vegan curry tonight and that's the, you know the curry is the source of the thing isn't it so it's mm. that's all right um or you know and and like I think if I was just um like you can uh just go vegan and just go right i'm just gonna have things off of trays in the oven and kind of meat substitutes you know and i i think i'd be comparing that with meat and be feeling a bit like cheated or hard done by like i wasn't but if you go for like polenta or, or some of the things you can do like roasting chickpeas or um i'm not gonna come up with the best examples right now but there's there's so many nice vegan dishes you can do where like the bang bang cauliflower is astoundingly uh, beautiful dish with roasted cauliflower leaves and um, this beautiful kind of Chinesey sauce where the meat doesn't have to be, you don't feel like you're missing out on meat because you're not having something that's a substitute for meat, you're just doing yeah. something vegetables that are, are its own thing, you know? Yeah, because I find that um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, you know, wrong for doing this, but like meat is sort of the cornerstone or fish, meat or fish is sort of the cornerstone of every meal that I make, you know, typically breakfast as well. Um, and I think you get into a bit of a trap then, a bit of a vicious cycle, and you you neglect the possibilities of eating non-meat and non-dairy-based sort of meals, really. So, you know, you're quite the, the social media chef, Chris, I find. I mean, I always take interest in sort of your, your things you're posting, you know, so I, I find that quite... Uh, and you open myself a bit more to vegan food, I think, on the option, the possibilities of vegan food. Well, I've been a bit lazy about it in the last couple of weeks because I've just been a bit like, oh, I can't be, can't be bothered to cook, and just so you'll notice, even people who know me can tell how much effort I'm making in the kitchen on, as to whether or not there are photos going up. Because if it's just a frozen pizza, then I'm not going to bother. You know, it's not <laughs> just, just, uh, just did some McCain oven fries. I'm probably not going to take a photo of that. I did eat cat biscuits three weeks ago, Simon's. Yeah, um, yeah, Simon Manuel's outed you. He said, Chris ate cat biscuits two weeks ago. If anyone tunes into Fours of Crow, they would have seen that, perhaps. Um, were they vegan, though, Chris? That's, the, that's what we want to know. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure they, was, they were supposed to have salmon in them. And <laughs> at, Fours to, so quite the hominids. Well, I think they did. They, they had quite a nice... <laughs> They had quite a nice salmony taste at first, and I was like, "Oh, these actually aren't bad." But it was the aftertaste that gets you, um, and they were really, really quite unpleasant. And they're all kind of like little crunchy bits that get in your teeth. It's not. Good. I did do this. This was for a bit on on our panel show for the crowd, um, and I had quite the debate with Ellie because she was saying you could have just pretended to eat them, and I said no. I had to go method. Like it's. it's <laughs> Because people can tell when you're pretending to do a thing. Like, I'm not that good of an actor that I could pretend to do that, and people people can tell if I'm really doing a thing or if it's 
you know, especially when it's something gross like that, like just going, oh, mm, mm. it's like it's the idea of it, but it's the actually doing it that's funny. You know, sometimes you have to commit to the bit. Well, I've, I've, I've disappointed you that because I have written um, a part for you in a script of a cat biscuit eating man, and if you, you know, well, you know, if your acting is not really going to be, oh, listen, I'll, I'll, just, else. I'll just go completely method. I'll just eat the biscuits with you. It's fine. <laughs> um, you might have to bring your own biscuits for a <laughs> just a cat uh, production. We've got loads of cat biscuits. That was the one thing before all this. When everyone was panic buying pasta and toilet roll, that was the one thing that I was worried about was pet food right because me and ellie will cope we'll do something but with the pets are really dependent on us so I, I bought so much kind of cat food and dog food and and treats and things that was the uh so and and actually they a lot of our cat our cats are, are little boss names and they don't deserve the treats so i'll bring them along to the shoot it's fine so everyone was was digging, <laughs> digging towards the toilet roll on pasta you were zagging towards the cat biscuits yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the number of times i've had to wipe my bum on a cat biscuit <laughs> that is accuracy and it's fineness that is <laughs> yeah yeah very impressive hey, do you know um do the, do the cats have uh individual well, or separate uh litter boxes um well our cats you know do they do they go and do their business separately they don't really have litter boxes anymore they they go outside into the wider world and sort of do their business out there for the most part wow Mm. That's impressive. It's, it's, I'll tell you a, a funny story about my Irish friend. My my Irish friend, you uh, you boys at him. I won't won't say his name. Uh, his uh, cat's litter tray is next. What's that? I was asking if he has his own litter box. Oh, sorry. Uh, his, his no no. Well, this that you will you'll find out in a minute. Uh, he okay. his litter I, box. I, well, the cat's litter box is is the toilet. And one night right. uh, we'd had a few uh, drinks, and uh, he'd accidentally uh, done a number two in the cat's litter box instead of the toilet. Oh. And uh, yeah, yeah, and the, and the litter box had a, had a cab on it and a flap and everything. So uh, you know, uh, I think your cats going outside are better than my human friend. I actually. I think human poo generally uh, smells. I think. Like, I, I'm no fan of the smell of human poo. I think but you'd I hope think... they was bigger as well. Yeah, I, I think on balance, cat poo smells worse, which is the main reason to encourage your cats to go outside and poo because the stink of it is. Um, well, there's yeah. a scale, isn't it? There's a bit of a poo scale, um, and I think yeah. cat is cat is at the worst end of the scale. You know, you've got sort of harmless horse and cow at the one end and then and then cat is pretty 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 offensive really and it is it's not real you think it might be something to do with the size of the animal as well but there seems to be no correlation there but yeah cat is definitely in the in the red zone for me when it comes to uh different animals uh deposits i think it's because they have like a largely meat-based diet with nothing else to kind of yeah. and we had one of our cats broke her leg um and we had to keep her in the same room for about eight weeks and she would she would do a poo and try and cover it up and then she'd be trying to get out of the she'd be distraught trying to get out of the room like just trying to get away from the smell of her own poo you know and you'd, you'd take the poo out and you'd flush it down the toilet but there'd be like a lingering kind uh, you try and open the window but because because she's not allowed out you can't open the doors to kind of let a breeze it was just linger you know um and she'd be like 
desperately trying to get away and it's like yeah, yeah but you did that we, we flushed it for you but you did this like how do you think we feel we're sat boxed in with you this stink i think that's the difference between i think that's where cats and dogs sort of differ you know like a dog would try and get out to go to the toilet whereas the cat is happy to do it in your, your living room well, and leave itself afterwards like well, it no, leave afterwards you know? thing. She, she didn't she was very reluctant she didn't she didn't poo for days at one because she then normally do go outside. She was very reluctant to use a litter tray. And at one point, I think she must have been about 70% poo because it was so long since she'd been. <laughs> Quite worrying. But that's sort of like <laughs> a, a snap, a sort of an enforced lockdown upon a cat that sort of um, yeah. we've all unfortunately had to, had to deal with. But like we asked sort of, you know, Shani earlier, is there any sort of positives or or dif different spins as lockdown are brought about for you because it is crappy being stuck at home to a certain extent but if we sort of try to look on the bright side and take take the positives out of it oh yeah massive positive well the nice thing about not being a cat is when i was putting a lockdown i was able to understand what was going on and why do you know what i mean like that's... so well that, just... <laughs> but yeah so to kind of have that direct comparison with a with a, with an animal that's living in your house or you you're sticking in a room and you, and you can't explain to them what it's about uh it's just a luxury to know what's going on in the world um but yeah i think you know it, it's been a long time now this lockdown business and i've been in furlough from my kind of part-time day job and obviously comedy's just gone away um and yeah and so for the longest time and, and so it's been a bit of a, a weird time and a bit of a roller coaster and my pr productivity has been all over the place but um Having said that, you know, I have been really enjoying spending more time with Ellie, um, the, my fiance, than we normally get to because we've just been trapped in this house together and neither of us has the commitment now of going out to work. So we don't have as much money coming in, but we do get some quality time together. Um, I've been making stuff for YouTube, teaching myself to do various kind of bits of editing and skills that I didn't have before, um, doing a vlog and just trying to find other outlets for creativity that hopefully I'm going to kind of keep up even when gigs and things come back. So that's been really rewarding. Um, yeah. Do you, I think it'd be interesting to see like um, what goes back to normal, if that's the right word, and what sort of the, what, what new things stick around um, because we've been doing the podcast uh, via these live streams and it's in, in many ways it's, it is nice seeing people in person and, I think you can have a bit more of a connection when you're recording live in person. But it's nice doing this as well. It's so convenient and easy. So, Yeah, well, it was nice for me seeing... I was watching the Shani one earlier yeah. and, uh, when that was going out live, and it was nice for me seeing Stefan and just going, yeah, he he looks about as tired as I feel. Um, that, was, that was encouraging because he was very, <laughs> very tired. You know, I look like I, this all the time. Well, because you guys... I, I don't know. I mean, Drew, you've obviously been working still. Steph, I don't know exactly what you, you've been up to in terms of working things, but like uh, my general schedule is like right out, out of the window, you know, and, and, and like I say, we try to be productive and make things and do some things, but Sundays you just, and when you guys are like, oh, 10.30 sun, Sunday, I was like, oh, I'll, go for the, I'll go for the later one, actually, please, <laughs> because 10.30 10 is when I get up and I think about reading comic books and then reading comic books seems like, well, maybe that's a bit much. I'll start with some YouTube, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's 
where I've regressed yeah. to at this point. Like, I can't even face a comic book in the morning because that's that that seems like too much effort to read a book for pleasure. Um, <laughs> so I just have to watch the new while my mind gears up again. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's uh, I do worry about like just having to go back to normality and commute and do all these things. Like, hopefully. Like they say it's happening in, in, you know, people who work in offices, maybe we'll be working from home more and, and they'll waste less of their lives by commuting and then it'd be more productive for everyone and things can get done. And maybe those of us who are uh, in kind of creative fields in some ways will find creative ways around having to do quite so much travel or, mm. uh, you know, other other ways of doing things or other outlets and things as well. Yeah. Steph? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of things getting sort of normal. I don't think they'll ever be normal again. Uh, what, what do you think of these drive-in gigs, Choppy? Have you seen them where people are like 50 um, feet away in their cars and stuff? I, I, I haven't seen any footage of any. I struggle to kind of get my head around the, the idea of what that would be like and, and how much fun that would be to perform. You know, if, if people are enjoying doing them, that's great. But... But also, then you look at the ones that are happening, and you go, "Well, this is sort of Mark Watson and organising gigs with people with sort of telly profiles and stuff." I'm not sure that I need to worry about them really, to be honest, because if they, uh, yeah, 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 I don't think I'm going to be asked anytime soon. And, and they, and you need, if you need a car to get to them, then I can't get to them anyway. So, um, but it's it's very weird, and very different. I I think something that I've noticed, like when it comes to comedy on the internet i don't judge or criticize anyone for their approach to it because a lot of people have lost a lot of their income very quickly mm -hmm. and everyone's kind of scrabbling out to figure out what they want to do but um so i'm not gonna kind of be too specific about anything but i think in a broader sense sometimes i've seen people and it feels that like they are trying to cram stand-up comedy into the new medium and make that work Mm. And what I enjoy seeing more or would prefer to do myself is where people go, okay, this is the new medium. What works in this? What can we do that fits this format rather than trying to get a square peg into a round hole? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I think we talked yeah. about this yeah. earlier. You know, it is important to have that level of production value and, and perhaps um editing and quality control of things you put out um but with the advent of youtube and and everyone's got a recording device in their pocket that they can use at any time you know it has opened things up that people can put content out as much as they want but like has the vlog you've been doing through lockdown have you found that helpful on you know a sort of um a personal level as opposed to an opportunity to put something out for others to enjoy have you found that beneficial to you yeah i mean Ellie, uh, my fiance, was kind of the driving force behind that in terms of getting it off the ground, set, you know, suggesting that this is the thing we should do. And and she does still does like the bulk of the work in terms of like uploading and editing and, and well, not, not editing because we don't really edit it, but, um, you know, the, the admin around it and writing the blurb and things like that. And, um, and it's been really great because it's been a, a way for us to kind of spend some quality time together apart from everything else and keep us sane to have a project to focus on every day quite apart from whether or not anyone else gets anything out of it i think it's been great for the two of us just to have something to focus on and do this little project and we do it every uh day and, and probably has kept us sane in a lot of ways and have that kind of 
thing that we need to commit to rather than just complete because like both our jobs are kind of out the window right now so mm. something that is like a sense of even if it is only self enforced like a bit of responsibility of like we've got to do this today rather than just completely allowing ourselves to drift into sort of doing nothing or, or whatever and um but then also it's it is nice when you don't get to go and do a gig and get laughs from an audience and all that it is nice when people are uh positive about it and and say okay. nice things and say they've made it part of their routine or whatever and then uh and then you have to think about okay well what are we going to do if we do have to go back to work maybe we can't commit to doing something every day you know maybe the whole the whole format of a lockdown blog um doesn't make sense outside of lockdown so what are we going to change it what are we going to do and keep it going um and then also could we started out with no kind of expectations of sort of viewership or or um making any money or doing it on any kind of professional thing but then when people are enjoying it and you think well maybe if these people are enjoying it maybe other people would enjoy it and it, you're kind yeah. of talking, wanting to go all right what can we do how can we make this more uh professional and and how can we kind of push this a bit and try and get some more viewers and and get some more likes and subscribes etc etc all that kind of stuff and then but the other thing is you kind of withdraw from that and feel a bit icky and be like oh, i don't know i don't want people to think we're taking ourselves too seriously it's just us chatting after all you know and, and uh but i think there's a merit though in being confident in what you in your material if that's the right word and things you put out and you know even with this podcast it's it's nice when we talk with this before we started as well people will say oh i, I subscribe to your podcast i listen to this i enjoy it you know and i think sometimes we can be too harsh and too critical of ourselves and i think sometimes you know you should maybe a bit, bit freer with that and, and don't be scared to put things out there because chances are people will enjoy it if they enjoy your stand-up why wouldn't they enjoy your vlog and and vice versa well, I think um, it's with a lot of uh, podcasts I listen to. Some some of them are funnier than others, but what I enjoy a lot of the time is that if you hear people chatting together who obviously have known each other a long time and they've got that camaraderie and you feel like you're being let in on it, you know, and you can enjoy that kind of intimacy and camaraderie of the, of the chat and the banter or whatever. So uh, if other people can get a similar thing from us, then that's great. And it, and it does kind of make you think, well, maybe if these people are enjoying it, maybe other people... Would enjoy it too it's just sort of um looking at youtube numbers and going well we've got about 35 subscribers and those people over there have got about six million um <laughs> i don't i'm not i'm not arrogant man i don't i don't need six million subscribers in my life but if i could kind of bridge the gap a little bit like that i, I think that's true of everything in life um you know there seems to be uh i don't want to sound like i'm being political or anything but if it feels like you look at how much money the really rich people have and sometimes mm -hmm. you look at your own overdraft and you go well oh, i don't i don't need to be rich but how do i it feels like i work quite hard where's the the middle ground where i can have enough money to not be on my overdraft and be a bit more comfortable and and maybe the rich people don't need quite some and so uh you know i'm not i'm not kind of uh comparing successful youtubers to kind of rich people hoarding all the money you know they've worked hard and they've got that success yeah. and they don't stop anyone subscribing to anyone else but yeah i think in a lot of places in life you can kind of go some people have really stellar success or, or reward or or whatever it might be and other people working quite hard just kind of fail to kind of quite make the connection or find how to make that extra bit of money or that extra leap or whatever it might be so um so yeah it'd be nice to kind of go right 
how can we build this up a bit? And then also I'm thinking of putting out more sketches and, and video essays and doing other things with YouTube because it's, um, yeah, I'm kind of increasingly fascinated with it. I think it's worth mentioning as well, sort of, you talk, mentioned Ellie leave you on a few times. Um, yeah. And that's uh, that's quite a new a new um, pronoun that's being applied yeah. to, to Ellie. And like Simon has commented that um, he said, I absolutely love Chris and Ellie's videos. I'm generally a regular watcher of them. I cried on the episode when he proposed. Now, um, Chris, you know, I've I've I proposed to my wife uh, four 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 and a half years ago. Thereabouts. That's quite, I must say, it's quite a ballsy sort of move. Um, could you sort of talk us through what happened and and the sort of thought process behind that? Well. I had all these plans in place that I was going to mm. do this big kind of proposal and kind of plan a big kind of afternoon and kind of what we, how it was going to go and and, and what was going to happen, uh, which I, I discussed all on the vlog of the details of it. But obviously lockdown happens and just all your plans for so many people in so many ways just go away. And that was one of them. And, you know, I, I, I really wanted to marry Ellie and I wanted her to know that I wanted to marry her and because um, that's the thing in a relationship it's a weird thing when you're the, uh, in a traditional you know heterosexual relationship obviously other options are available but like you as the man you kind of expect to be the one that buys the ring and does the proposing and there's that pressure but I think the the women are left to going just not knowing is he going to propose mm -hmm. has he brought a ring is he thinking about it and you kind of so I didn't want her to be like left dangling either to waiting for lockdown to end and be like when can this happen months because I had the ring and everything um so you know what can we do that uh, that still feels sort of a bit special or a bit nice yeah um, on the vlog on her birthday maybe that's an option and it's really nice going that's filmed there's a record of that to keep um you know irrespective of it being on the vlog that anyone else can see it's nice for us to have yeah um, you know, maybe show the kids or the grandkids one day or look at back when we're old and, and go, oh, weren't we young? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's um, yeah, I'm glad it exists as a, as a thing to keep. Well, there's a nice, a nice sort of um, mm -hmm. positivity in, in amongst all this sort of difficult time that we're all facing. It was, it was a really nice moment. Um, it, was a, it was a really nice uh, sort of personal, intimate moment between the two of us. Uh, but I, I'm like, <laughs> the art team in the background is telling me it was like episode 87. <laughs> People want to check it out. <laughs> yeah, there was checking out episode 87. Just just uh, fast forward to fast forward yeah. to, the, to, to the to the best uh, bit, maybe. Early yeah. lockdown lockdown vlog. Um, is that can they search that? Is that how they find it? It was very touching. Oh. Lockdown with Chris Chopping and Ellie Daniel. That's what you need to search for. Or it's on, <laughs> on my uh, stand-up video. Like, subscribe. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that, yeah, you... I watched I watched that whole episode. I, I, I found it to be lovely. A uh, very touching episode. And, you know, there, there is somebody for everyone, which is good to see. And, uh, Chris, I think you've done very well there. She's a nice girl, a good oh. egg. And if she makes you happy, then that's most important. Well, I agree that I've done very well there. Uh, she does make me very happy. And um, yeah, um, uh, that's nice. Yeah, very pleased. And uh, Steph, you were you were good. Yeah, it should be. Commented, um, when are you going to propose to me on a vlog? Yeah, <laughs> no, she hasn't really. I'm joking. That didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> if, if my girlfriend now, she would say no, one hundred percent, because we're we're we're, I, we're just different like that. We we don't believe in. Uh, in marriage and that kind of stuff because you know right. if 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 i marry her and she wants to get away from me then you know she can't 
know, she, she's got to have that option just to leg it at any it, time she wants. It's and nice. I, I respect that. It's nice that Steph has been showing his romance in his own way with his DIY and things, though. I heard about that earlier. That was lovely. I heard him when he was doing his Blade Runner impression. Like, I've seen things that you wouldn't believe. Starships exploding on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I've seen pubes in a kitchen. <laughs> All these moments will disappear. Blade <laughs> Runner. But based on the comments with the with the previous show as well, everyone was just focused on the kitchen pubes. It's it's nice that um you know you put these sort of things out and you try and create this sort of content and it just goes back to, to sort of uh, toilet humor and smut really is what everyone really cares about the most. It's nice. To listen to I think there's a t-shirt in it. <laughs> Steph. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you know, you haven't seen anything until you've seen. Uh, hang off a cobweb in the middle of a room. It is weird, but um, like uh, I, 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 but I digress. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed watching your vlog. I enjoy, particularly enjoyed the episode when Ellie uh, gave you a certain makeover. Oh, I, I'll man. be honest with you, I've screenshotted that uh, and kept it. Did you did did you screenshot the one from the where I gave her a makeover as well? Absolutely not. I'm a gentleman. <laughs> I, well, it's fair enough. I've, I've, I've into that though. No, I, but I, you do. I, re I really liked the, the the makeup and the wig look. I, I enjoyed that. I felt very pretty. I felt very happy. I'd do that more often if it wasn't so much. I, mean, I think I, I saw you in a totally different light. Was, yeah, I was. I was, uh, I was surprised. I was surprised how how well it suited me. I could look really good if I could be bothered. Yeah. I mean, like if if. Honestly, you know, if if the uh, you know, like you could you could go uh, you could diversify now as a, as a different act, can you? You know, you could uh, put a new character act in there because we all know you you've done character acts before. You've done Brett Michaels, uh, was it the pickup artist? Did uh, did uh, did Brett Michaels your character? Uh, did was any motivation taken from him when uh, squiring a nice uh, nice Ellie that you've got now? Uh, <laughs> I mean, if I had taken any motivation or inspiration from him, I don't think I'd now have a fiance. I, uh, <laughs> even the ankle weights, even the ankle weights are less impressive than you might imagine. Um, <laughs> handy doing lockdown all the ankle weights doing a bit of home exercise. Do you know what? One of the ankle weights sprung a leak, and all the little beads. <laughs> came out so i've got one ankle that is incredibly strong and one ankle that has become increasingly enfeebled um no i i haven't i've done i've done next to no exercise i've put on about a stone during lockdown and at the start of lockdown i was reading lots of kind of things on facebook about hey look we're it's these are unusual times give yourself a break don't worry about you know your weight don't put too much pressure on yourself and i was like yeah that's the way to go and then about four months later and you put on a stone and got a belly that you didn't have and chins that you didn't have before and you are oh, i've just got to go back out into the world and see people i should have put some pressure on myself yeah i think when sort of things are fully lifted we'd all have to go on a bit of a crash i set a date and now a bit of a crash diet prior to uh venturing out of the house again um we mentioned sort of uh 
to streaming and, and, and online content and the ability to put yourself out there, um, which you didn't have maybe 10, 15 years ago in many respects, but a common thing that sort of comedy is often like assimilated and with success is like being on television and as the three of us know, you know, that isn't a direct correlation between working on television or being a being a successful comedian. That, you know, not to say people on television aren't. I mean, you know, there's there's comics up and down the country who are fantastic certain comedians who do, who don't do any TV work, TV work, and that's nothing to track yeah. from them. But like you have done um some stand up on television, but it's sort of yeah. surprisingly so for some people possibly you did it in Welsh language on S4C. Um, you know, being non Welsh, what was that like? It was, I mean, I was like a novelty act in, in Welsh comedy. It was really uh, fun. And I, I think because I'm English, I got a, a bit of a pass that a Welsh person wouldn't get because my Welsh yeah. is terrible, which kind of became the joke, you know, of me struggling to remember my lines and, and, and trying to, you know, and botching things. And, um, and I think if I had been Welsh doing that, I think some welsh speakers you know not to kind of you know welsh speakers as, as a whole that i've met have been absolutely lovely people i'm not wanting to paint them all with a negative brush but i think some welsh speakers if i had been welsh doing this act about how my welsh isn't very good would be a little bit so well your mm. welsh should know the language you know it's not funny that you don't know the language you should but your ideas up but as an english person giving they're like oh bless him he's giving it a go you know and i had, I had a bit of leeway to kind of uh, to kind of mess around with it a bit and um that was really fun um but a lot of and, and actually um i should say stefan evans helped me with some of the translating and, and pronunciation and, and working on my bits for that as well which i'm very grateful for um and it was great because i got to do that tv show for paint. uh yeah and i got to do that tv show and and steph was on it and um and people that i'd uh started out like dan thomas um was on there who given me my first ever gig and phil cooper and um you know and and stefan allen who are two of my dearest friends inside or outside of comedy um so it's really great like to make a tv debut like it wasn't you know it's on s4c it wasn't sort of seen by a massive audience it didn't launch me to success or, or anything but to make your tv debut with those people that you love was like a real treat, you know, and to uh, always have that. Steph? And the, the, you went down so well. You went down, people absolutely loved you. I mean, you know, we, we were around t touring West Wales as well, my sort of uh, area, and they, they loved you there. I mean, I think uh, you, you should never sell, sell yourself short for exactly what you did there, because, you know, that. On the night of the filming, the audience absolutely loved what you did. Every single gig, they absolutely loved it. So I think that's uh, an amazing thing, really. And what's most of me is you've really seen the two sides of comedy in Wales. You know, I think especially you know you, you're good friends with Stefan Allen, who is you know one of the forerunners in Welsh comedy, and um, and I, I you know having having that sort of you know, understanding of two sides, I think it's a very useful thing. Going, do you think so? Yeah, I do. I think you know you do have a better just understanding for for all. The more you see of that, and you see the English, and you see how it operates differently, and what things are the same. You know, it's just always good. I always think like um, it's good to just travel, or even within English language comedy, you travel around, you do gigs in London, and you do gigs in Manchester, and you do gigs in Exeter or wherever it might be, and Birmingham, and you meet different acts with different philosophies, and different scenes have got different kind of approaches or kind of 
received wisdom that's kind of built up and just sticking in your own scene you don't learn about that and you don't expand kind of your knowledge or your ideas about comedy so much so i think it's important to travel so if you can then do that and expand into a different language and find out what that scene thinks and whatever um uh, that's really interesting as well and you learn a lot and i but i think what has happened as well since since i did those gigs it was great being able to do those gigs but uh since then the welsh language scene you know the the it was a small scene at the time it was you know a lot of talent within that small pool of people who were doing it but it's kind of exploded since then you know um and i mean they they certainly don't need me to be doing it anymore because they've got so you know to round out any numbers on any tv shows because they've got so many um talented uh welsh language acts now uh and and obviously a lot of that i only know because i've also seen them performing in english because uh, i do not understand uh the welsh well enough to follow unfortunately a lot of the time but uh but yeah but, but i think it's nice that you you're prepared to say that and prepared to admit that rather than try and gloss over it and and sort of you know make it out to anything it's not and i think that sometimes like you said people buy into that and they appreciate you offering up this vulnerability and an acceptance that your welsh language um sort of strengths aren't there and, 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 and that's fine you know you're trying well i've always wanted to kind of you know uh get better at well like it's, it's still one of those things you think well one day i'll get to the point that i'm kind of fluent and stuff but it's the same mm. as anything like learning bass guitar or kind of you know reading ulysses whatever it might be there's always things that you do have the best of intentions and then actually kind of getting the work done is hard especially when you've got other commitments and things as well uh, but you know maybe one day i'll, I'll uh, at least be able to sit in the audience and kind of un understand what's going on a bit better yeah rather than just laugh in the pauses like i, I tend to do <laughs> <laughs> I, I i went to see ellis james recording a special for s4c and it was doing an hour special and i was enjoying it like I couldn't really understand like the jokes, but I was kind of enjoying kind of seeing what words I could spot and if I could follow the the gist of kind of what the routines were about, you know, from what words I understood and, and what his body language was doing and, and things. Um, and then he started doing a bit about uh, a Welsh theme park with like a wooden roller coaster. Yeah. And, I, and I got, I was just like, oh, this is really clicking for me now. I'm really, I'm, I'm this Welsh. I've, I've been sitting here watching it, focusing, and it's really starting to click, and I'm really getting it. And then I realised he'd switched to English. <laughs> you thought you just. You put the work in, and it's paying off. I, I can really get this now. And I, no, he's just talking in English, which is a language that I should not pat myself on the back for understanding, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, this has been absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us and giving up your time. We always appreciate all and any guests. Um, is there any way you want to direct anyone to where they can catch up on what you're doing or what you will be doing? Um, well, I've got a Facebook page, Chris Chopping Stand Up Comedian. So, so go and like that, and I'll I put links to all my stuff. Um, and um, the and as I was saying earlier, the um, lockdown with Chris Chopping and Ellie Daniel. Look that up on YouTube. Like, subscribe. There's no shame in it. Um, you know, tell your friends. <laughs> um, great. Chris, thank you very much, Steph. Thank you, and anyone who's been watching or listening at all, Mercy Taste with the podcast. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me.
And that was the Tales from Wales podcast. Uh, thank you very much to our guest, Chris Chopping. A big congratulations on your engagement and best of luck for the future. If you want to check Chris out, you can find him on Facebook and uh, Chris Chopping Standard Comedian. He'll have uh, plenty of videos on there and endless witty comments, I'm sure. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, we all hope that you are happy and healthy out there. Stay safe and just be good to one another. Thank you.